Hi, this is your host Corbin, and this is your guide for John Moore's A Good Day to Die Hard. Before we get into the making of the film, allow me to take you back to 2013 to remember the top movies released that year. They were The Wolf of Wall Street, Iron Man 3, wow. 2013 oh my gosh it's it's coming up on its 10th anniversary oh i feel old the great gatsby gravity thor the dark world frozen the hunger games catching fire man so many memories with this stuff wow uh the conjuring also came out that year man of steel the hobbit the desolation of smog i've got a story about that one i will save it for another time and as a bonus one i don't want you listeners to forget about this and if you haven't seen it please check it out Nebraska. From that year, we have reviewed Prisoners, Enemy, Elysium, Star Trek, Into Darkness, and After Earth. Links to those reviews are in the show notes below. If you would like to reminisce more about the films of 2013, then head over to letterbox.com and make sure to follow me and Alan over there. Links to our profiles are below. At the 85th Academy Awards, Best Picture went to Argo. It had been five years, seven months, and 18 days since audiences saw their bold, bald-headed heroes save not just a skyscraper or an airport, but the entire United States. Why did it take so long, you ask? Well, while Die Hard 4 was a success financially and a hit with most critics and audiences, the jury is still out on that one, listeners. Go back and listen to your guide for Live Free or Die Hard. Some people loved it, and a lot of people just thought it was okay. There just wasn't that hunger to rush a fifth film into production. Not to mention, Bruce Willis shoots a lot of movies. It was announced in 2010 that Skip Woods of X-Men Origins Wolverine and the A-Team Infamy would be drafting the script while Naum Murrow left the project to direct the 300 sequel. According to Ain't It Cool News, the fifth installment would be titled Die Hard 24-7 and would be a team-up movie featuring none other than Jack Bauer, the main character of the highly popular Fox TV show property 24. At the time, 24 was at its zenith of popularity, but supposedly Kiefer Sutherland, who played Bauer, was more interested in launching 24 into its own film franchise instead of teaming up with Willis. Fox never confirmed any of this information, but I will say this movie would have drawn some serious fascination. I myself would have loved to have seen this come to fruition. Speaking of 24, actor James Dale, who played Chase Edmonds on the show, was in the running along with Liam Hemsworth to play John McClane's son, Jack McClane, but the role ultimately went to rising star Jai Courtney, who nobody's ever heard from since. Oscar-nominated composer Marco Beltrami signed on to score the film. Fans of the series were happy to see the franchise returned to its R-rated roots after the fourth installment felt a little too watered down with its PG-13. Now, as far as ratings and box office go, it's not a pretty sight, listeners, but the first piece of information that I'm honestly surprised by, this is the shortest installment in the franchise, clocking in at 98 minutes. That's right, an hour and 38 minutes, and if you include roughly 10 minutes of credits, you're looking at a sub 90 minute film, whereas the other movies, I've always had a complaint about this, have always been over two hours and just a little bit too long. Well, on Letterboxd, it has a dismal 1.9 rating, the lowest in the franchise on IMDb, another series low of a 5.3, a truly awful meta score of 28 deep in the red, 
A Rotten Tomatoes critics rating of 15%. That's right. Only 15% of critics found this favorable and only 40% of audiences found it favorable as well. These numbers are the lowest in the franchise across the board. Nowhere really near a B plus for audiences straight out of the theater. This is also the lowest as well. It did have a budget of $92 million, which is actually lower than the fourth installment at 110. It was number one at the box office opening weekend, grossing 24.8. There, there's that number again, $24.8 million. That sounds really low, and it is really low. And it is not the lowest in the franchise. Um, that would be the first one, but that's not adjusting for inflation. This was lower than the fourth movie. Um, and the fourth movie actually debuted with higher numbers at number two. It should also be noted that this movie had a really weird release timeline. It opened on uh, Thursday, February 14th, just a few days after my birthday. Um, I would have been just a few days over 18. So it was a holiday weekend. It was President's Day weekend, and none of the other movies have released then. All the other movies have come out um, late spring to summertime, May and July, uh, some Junes. This was the earliest in the year of film in the series had ever been released. And I should also note that speaking of, you know, timelines and such, it had been 23 years, roughly, since the first film had come out. So if you were born when the first movie came out, you were now an adult. If you were 23 when the first one came out, you were middle-aged by this point. So long-running franchise, especially for only five installments. But number one was A Good Day to Die Hard. Um, number two was Identity Thief. Safe Haven debuted at number three in Nicholas Sparks' movie back in his heyday. Escape from Planet Earth, and have no idea what that is, opened at number four. Warm Bodies clocked in at number five. It had been in the theaters for three weeks already. Um, this did also have the biggest release of anything in the franchise, 3,553 theaters. A domestic box office of only $67.3 million, the lowest in the franchise. That is horrible numbers. Uh, did horrible at the box office. Foreign markets, not that bad. $237.3 million, about on par with the previous two installments for a worldwide total of $304.6 million. Third highest, third lowest in the franchise, whoever you want to, you know, place that. Not bad. That's perfectly fine. But once again, it's lower than the last one and lower than the third one. Adjusting for inflation, it's probably lower than the second one as well. So in total, this is a billion dollar franchise, $1.4 billion. So it's still highly profitable across all five films. But as you can see, Domestic audiences weren't having it. They did not want another John McClane movie. Foreign audiences, sure, we'll give it a go. So overall, across the board, critics hated it. Um, audiences were very disappointed with it. This was the worst in the franchise. I saw it opening weekend. I'm saving my thoughts. I'm going to come in fresh because I haven't watched it since it came out you know, almost 10 years ago by this point. It's been just a little over nine years. But... Nevertheless, I'm, uh, I'll be honest, I'm a little apprehensive, listeners. Thank you, listeners, for coming along with me as I have been your guide to the production and impact of this film. Now that you have your guide to a good day to die hard, make sure to subscribe to the podcast for my full review coming next Monday. 
and tune in the week after as we hop across the pond to join the Kingsmen. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.